It was crushing news. George had worked at that plant for nearly 20 years, but rumors of an impending downsizing began to circulate around the plant. The personnel cuts started. He knew his seniority would be a factor in whether he could keep his job or lose it. But he sat there in his truck in the company parking lot, holding on to the letter that informed him his position had indeed been eliminated. What are they going to do? He and his wife Lisa had grown accustomed to a comfortable lifestyle, and now money was going to be tight. They would have to evaluate every purchase, every expenditure, a whole lot more carefully than they had before. They'd have to actually discern between needs and wants. Once the kids were in bed, George and Lisa sat down that night to discuss their finances. They held hands across the dining room table and asked God to give them wisdom to make right decisions while they waited on Him to provide what they needed for their future. After they said amen, it led to a unique peace only prayer provides. Then they turned their attention to the budget, to the numbers, the dollars, and the cents that just didn't seem to make sense. They'd have to make some temporary adjustments. They'd have to postpone their vacation that they had planned for that summer. And then they'd been saving up for a swimming pool in the backyard, but that would have to wait. More meals in, fewer meals out. They could make it work. They would make it work. Gratefully, God quickly opened another door to another job in response to George and Lisa's faithfulness and their diligent prayer. And yet that season refined their perspective regarding what really, truly, fiscally mattered, what they truly needed, and what they didn't. In economics, those are called necessity goods. Necessity goods are the last things consumers stop buying whenever their income declines. And conversely, they're things to which they devote a lower percentage of their spending as their income rises. Generally, necessity goods are divided into eight categories. You want to take notes, there will be a quiz. I'm just kidding, no quiz. But these eight categories are food, utilities, communications, housing, transportation, medicine, education, and services like daycare, dry cleaning. There are also spiritual necessity goods as well. You knew there was going to be a connection, right? These spiritual necessity goods are those relational goods we simply must have to be in right relationship with God. This list contains some pretty significant top dollar items like prayer, repentance, faith, obedience, the word of God, submission, water baptism, a pastor, a church family, among other things. The one gift we can't purchase but we must have is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Without this living dynamic of God, His presence in our lives, we might have religion, but we don't have a relationship that leads to eternal life. Being filled with His Holy Spirit is an absolute must to live a victorious life here and be ready for the dawning of our new eternal life over there. And we're going to hear a lot more about that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Welcome back, God's Word for Life listeners. I'm so glad you're here. My name is LJ Harry, and I'm happily your host for the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. Today's episode stems from a lesson dated December 4th, 2022, entitled The Necessity of the Holy Spirit. It is absolutely essential to be filled with God's precious Holy Spirit. 
And our verse stems from a conversation, a late night conversation Jesus had with a rabbi named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 5, when Jesus answered the learned, very well-renowned rabbi, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus, Rabbi Nicodemus. Now, Jesus chose very early in his public ministry to have an off-the-record conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, the highest ruling body among the Jewish culture. He was a man of significant influence and means, and he had listened to Jesus' teaching, and he had seen his powerful miracles, so he wanted to speak with Jesus. He wanted to learn more. How in the world do you do that? But Nicodemus didn't raise his hand in the synagogue and ask Jesus that question. He felt like it was best to do that under the cloak of darkness, lest he jeopardize his social standing. But he wanted to know. I've heard rabbis teach, but I've never heard a rabbi tell a sick man to be healed. And he was. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he even told Jesus, I know you have come from God. You're not just another man because nobody can do the miracles you do unless God is with him. And Jesus seized on that limited expression of faith to introduce a very critical topic to the human lexicon. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 3. Now we have heard this phrase, born again, a lot. But imagine what Nicodemus thought and felt, born again? Jesus, that's not physically possible. I'm too old. I'm too big. My mother would not have it, even if she was alive. There's no way I can enter the second time into my mother's womb and be born. So why do you think Jesus chose the image of new birth to describe what happens when we are saved? Jesus' answer is one of the very foundational planks in the New Testament church upon which God built when Jesus replied, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 5. Jesus defined new birth. Being born again of water, defined as water baptism in the New Testament, is worthy, it's wonderful, and we will talk about that another time. But for the sake of this episode, we're going to focus on being born of the Spirit. When Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, that promise Jesus made to Nicodemus became reality. Jesus did not say that a believer would be well served by receiving the Spirit or life would be more roses than thorns when he received the Spirit. And he didn't say we can be a better Christian if we receive the Spirit. He didn't even recommend receiving the Spirit. He commanded us to receive the Spirit. You must be born again. Now, we've got a great advantage over Nicodemus. He had never heard of somebody being baptized with the Spirit. On the other hand, we've got testimony of collective millions of believers who have experienced this wonderful wonder themselves. And we know they have because just as Jesus instructed, we hear a sound. A sound associated with this infilling of the Spirit, unique to it, and yet completely confirms it. When we look at the various times in the book of Acts, somebody was born again of the Spirit. We observe a consistent sign and sound given from heaven that they had been filled with the Spirit just as they did in Acts chapter 2. Every individual did. Every individual will speak in an unknown tongue or language when they are first filled with the Spirit. Now, do you remember the first time you heard somebody speak in other tongues? What did you think? How did it make you feel 
when you compare it to when you experienced that experience yourself. What was true for Nicodemus is true for each of us. There is only one way to be born again. We must be filled with the Spirit of God through this miraculous spirit baptism. Anything less doesn't bring us into obedience to Jesus' teaching. The imperative remains we must be filled with the Spirit, which is why it's incumbent on each of us to make this desire personal. More than merely accepting this in a collective sense concerning our church or even the entire world, thank God, Lord, save the world. Salvation must be personal. God, save me. I won't automatically be filled with the Spirit just because I attend a church or because I shake a preacher's hand or sign a card or tell a church I want to be a part of that church or give money to a church or a minister. I don't receive the Spirit baptism just by being part of a family that has this holy heritage. I must desire and pursue and chase after God for myself. And so must you. Since Jesus taught the necessity of being born again, it makes sense that we would find a record of those who followed him declaring this very same message. And, you guessed it, we do. The Apostle Paul heralds the same message in Acts chapter 19. Paul arrived in Ephesus. He met a group of disciples who had been very moved by John the Baptist's preaching. And these men were not evil. They were believers that the Messiah was coming and they wanted to follow him. They wanted to serve him, but they did not know exactly who he was, what he taught, what they should do. But Paul saw their hunger and he seized on that. And he asked them a very significant question. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Acts 19 verse 2. Paul didn't accept their sincerity as adequate spiritual resume. Instead, As soon as he realized these men sincerely loved God, he prompted them to take the necessary step of obedience and be born again of the Spirit, which is the logical and proper theological result of having faith in Jesus. I believe him. I believe what he said. I will do what he commanded. That same truth confronts us. Faith in Jesus should lead us to experience the baptism of the Spirit. It's the natural outflow of our faith in him. When the disciples of John responded, confused, what? Holy Spirit, what? Paul knew something was missing. He was so taken aback by their response that he asked them about their water baptism. And then he learned they had not yet been baptized in the name of Jesus. Well, Paul fixed that right away. He baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ. And the very next verse records, And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Acts 19, verse 6. As soon as they understood Jesus was the Messiah, and as soon as they were baptized in Jesus' name, they were immediately born again of the Spirit. Paul prayed for them. The Spirit fell on them. Their faith wasn't enough. Just believing in Jesus wasn't enough. Believing in God wasn't enough. Even water baptism wasn't enough. They had to proceed past their mere mental assent to truth. I believe there is truth. I believe there's a God. And demonstrate that obedient faith to that truth. Because faith is always demonstrated through obedience, and obedience always leads to new birth for a hungry heart. Now, here's a question for you. Do you believe it's difficult or easy for the average person to believe God for the gift of the Holy Spirit? And if somebody doesn't believe, what can they do to help that unbelief? We've talked about speaking in tongues. It's the initial sign of being filled with the Spirit, but there's an ongoing basket of signs that God's Spirit resides in us. This list isn't exhaustive, but God's Spirit should produce fruit in us. Galatians 5, 
verses 22 to 23. His Spirit should convict us, John 16, verse 8. His Spirit should pray through us through intercession, Romans 8, verses 26 through 27. Since the baptism of God's Spirit is such a wonderful experience, we should desire everybody we know to share this wonderful gift. Each of us who have been filled with the Spirit of God is commissioned to tell others that they can be filled with His Spirit. This is not just a preacher's call. This is a believer's call. Every believer is commissioned to tell others they can be filled with the Spirit. How about you? Can you think of somebody with whom you would like to share your testimony of being filled with the Holy Ghost? Why don't you connect with that person this week and just share a little bit of what God has done for you? Now, the nature of Jesus' imperative regarding new birth is undeniable. He didn't leave room for discussion or private opinion on the matter. Being born again is not a choice that's right for some, but not for others. It's not my truth, but your truth is different. Not at all. It's not an option that can be exercised at your pleasure. It is a universal mandate of this time of the church age. Being filled with the Spirit is an irreplaceable component of the gospel's work in our lives. According to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 2 through 4, the gospel is defined as the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we obey the gospel by associating with Jesus' death in repentance, his burial and water baptism, and his resurrection by spirit baptism. It's only through the life-giving power of the Spirit's infilling that we have life of Christ residing with us. These words from the book of Romans make the Spirit's essentiality very clear. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Romans 8, verse 9. Paul makes it clear that there's a big if. Just because you believe, just because you were baptized, just because you go to church, doesn't mean you're filled with the Spirit if the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if he does, oh, Praise God. Sanctification is this process of being set apart to God and set apart from sin. One without the other is incomplete. If we want to be set apart from sin without being set apart to God, we become like the Pharisees who confused religion with relationship. But if we seek to be set apart to God without being set apart from sin, we dwell in the carnal waters of moral and ethical compromise. The only way to be effectively sanctified, made holy, is through the ongoing work of God's indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives. There are so many verses that speak to the Spirit's sanctifying work. Romans 15, verse 16, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. God gives us His Spirit to help us resist the persistent downward pull of our flesh, our carnal nature. Paul said this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18. The Spirit also empowers us for ministry. Not every child of God is called to be a preacher. And so for you who are scared of public speaking, you just go, whoo. But every one of us is called to be a minister or a servant. That's how Scripture defines the word minister. We're called to faithfully serve God, to faithfully serve our fellow church family, to faithfully serve the kingdom of God at large. But we cannot do a spiritual work with fleshly power. We can only accomplish something of eternal value for the strength of something so much higher than ourselves. That strength comes from God's Spirit. And because of God's Spirit, we have a blessed hope that by the end of this life, 
we will not have reached the end of life. Paul wrote, but if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you, Romans 8 verse 11. Let's just stop long enough to say, you see the spirit everywhere in the New Testament. For anybody who says, do I have to have the Holy Spirit? They have completely missed everything God intended. It should be, do I get to receive the Holy Spirit? Ephesians 1 verse 14 teaches that the Spirit we receive is the down payment, the earnest of our inheritance. When Jesus comes, all those dead in Christ will be gathered up first, and then the Spirit-filled believers who are living, they'll be caught up to join them. And it all happens through the Spirit. One more question. How has the hope of the resurrection comforted you during a time of loss? When you think about losing somebody near and dear to you, but you know there is a resurrection day coming, how does that comfort you? One wise man wisely said a revelation without a response only leaves you with an education without an experience. When we know what we must do, all that remains is to do it. I worked with a gentleman down in Florida for years, and he kept saying he was a construction guy, very smart, but very just common sense smart. And he would say all the time, ain't nothing to it but to do it. And he was absolutely right, especially on this. We must choose, open our heart to this New Testament experience, this grace-filled, glorious experience of new birth. It is the best decision you will ever make, and one decision you will never regret. Okay, we wrap this up. The old man was a worshiper. He had walked with God for decades, and his love for God had only gotten richer and deeper and fuller and sweeter, and there might be a song about that. His strength was waning a bit, but that didn't keep him from stepping out of the pew and exercising what strength he did have in enjoying the Holy Ghost, as he was wont to say. Well, visited church one night, was taken aback by this elder's shouts of praise and his shuffling dance, and especially his expressions in other tongues. She had come from a religious background that denied that you could be filled with the Spirit in this way, so she was a little disapproving of his conduct. And after service, she wanted him to know that she disapproved of how he worshipped God. So she boldly made her way to this simple country gentleman. And with an expression on her face that could sour milk, she said, You know, you don't have to do all that. And his reply was golden. He said, Ma'am, you don't have to take a bath either, but it sure does feel good. It makes you more pleasant to be around. <laughs> I love it. Now, in reality, yes, we do have to have the Spirit. It is a necessity, but it is the greatest necessity. We don't endure the Spirit of God. We enjoy the Spirit of God. Romans fourteen seventeen promises us righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We are surrounded by a world of corruption, chaos, calamity. Who wouldn't want to experience this beautiful, pervasive, righteousness, peace, and joy. They're available to every believer who simply obeys the gospel, repents of their sins, is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins, and receives this precious, wonderful, glorious, gracious gift of God's Holy Spirit. Maybe you have never received the Holy Ghost before, or there's somebody in your life you would like to see God fill with His Spirit. Would you join me in praying right now that God would fill them with your spirit, that God would fill you with his spirit. We come to God first in repentance and ask God to forgive us. We cleanse our heart by his power of all sin. 
So then all there is left is a hungry, empty heart waiting and willing to be filled with the Spirit of God, and God will fill you. Would you pray right now in the name of Jesus? God, I pray every hungry, every empty soul, never been filled with your Spirit before, but they want to be filled. They want to know you. They want to have this experience. Would you fill them today in the name of Jesus Christ? Would you minister today to those who need to be filled with the Holy Ghost? God, forgive us and cleanse us so we can be filled, we can be made right with you, we can be new creatures in Christ Jesus. I pray you do this not only for those listening, but for those they are praying for. I ask you to fill the hungry, the empty with your spirit. You promised it in Matthew chapter 5, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. I pray you would do that today by your grace and your mercy in the lovely, precious, powerful, wonderful name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Be sure to click subscribe and share, and you'll never miss an episode, and neither will anybody you care about and love have to miss an episode either. Also, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. This is a great time to pick up resources over at PentecostalPublishing.com. Bibles, books, book, Bible studies, devotionals, music, all great resources to help you in your walk with God and your devotional life. They are all there, and great gifts, by the way, for those who need to have a closer walk with Jesus, as we all do. You'll find it there at PentecostalPublishing.com. Next week, I want to share with you, continuing in this series, The Work of the Spirit, an episode entitled, Led by the Spirit. Now that we've been filled with the Spirit, let's live led by the Spirit. Looking forward to sharing that with you next week, and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.